Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA podcast. Today's guests are Chad Johnson and Johnny Grimes, who are two of the folks behind the return of Furnace Fest this September in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, if you haven't heard of Furnace Fest, this is the 20th anniversary of the original Furnace Fest festival. Furnace Fest festival, kind of awkward, but. This was a legendary festival back in Birmingham, Alabama, back in 2000. I think they did four of them, 2000 through 2003. A few of the bands that you might have recognized from the original lineup would be as just a few. Like, this is a legendary lineup. Rise Against, Taking Back Sunday, Stretch Armstrong, Mastodon, Hatebreed, Every Time I Die, Andrew WK, Norma Jean, and the list goes on and on and on. These were four just absolutely legendary festivals. After whatever it is, 17 years or whatever, it is back, and these are the guys making it happen. And just to kind of give you an idea of who these people are and where they're coming from, Chad is one of the most legendary A&Rs in kind of the Christian music scene, I guess you would call it. He is the one responsible for discovering a couple bands that you just might have heard of. For example, Under Oath and Me Without You as just two of many he was an A&R at Tooth & Nail for several years and has been kind of involved in the music scene ever since then. And Johnny, well, he'll introduce himself a little bit in the episode. He's Chad's partner in crime on this, along with a couple other folks. So I wanted to bring these guys on and talk about exactly what it takes to put together an event like this. It is September 18th through 20th in Birmingham, Alabama. And by the time you listen to this, you should be able to get tickets for it. A few of the bands that are playing this year, again, a couple bands you may have heard of, such as Living Sacrifice, Shai Halud, Hope's Fall, Hot Water Music, Converge, Era, Cave-In, August Burns Red, 68, Boys Sets Fire, just a few. I think they've announced like 40 bands now, still 20 left to go. This is going to be an absolutely amazing lineup, so I want to talk to them about exactly what it takes to pull something like this together, just in case you ever wondered what the people who put these events through are actually going through. So, Really excited to just really get into the details in this one. We get super detailed. So if you're into operations, if you're into the details of exactly how to make shit happen, then this episode is for you. As always, I want to thank everyone who supports the show on Patreon and, of course, our very talented producer and editor, Deanna Chapman. If you have a podcast that you want to get off the ground or maybe you're already doing a show and you just want to do it bigger and better, either way, give her a shout if you have questions about all things podcasts. There's a link to her site in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, both of y'all, because you guys are Birmingham folks. You say y'all, right? I'm just trying to fit in. <laughs> Johnny yes. for sure says y'all, and I and I pretend to say y'all. No, 100%. Welcome <laughs> no. aboard, y'all. Well, I guess to, to start, could you... I'm, I'm not actually sure where you guys both fit into the picture, but tell me a little bit about, uh, I guess, basically the history of Furnace Fest and why now and, and how you guys are involved, just to kind of bring everyone up to speed on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll start and, and hopefully help make sense of this. So, I mean, basically, Furnace Fest 2020 is all Johnny Grimes' fault. So, that's <laughs> that to me, that's why he's here, because I got to blame this thing on somebody. If it goes great, it's Johnny Grimes. If it goes bad, it's Johnny Grimes. Uh, <laughs> no, I, we've Johnny and I have known each other for years. I mean, literally years. And uh, back when I was a aspiring concert promoter in Birmingham, Alabama, at a tiny illegal venue called slacker 66 johnny grimes would show up and you would have been what 15 16 yeah it was around 15 yeah when we started yeah. coming so so about three years ago <laughs> and uh <laughs> and, and then more you know kind of like to bring us up to speed uh i guess it was it two years ago when you you were like man furnace fest is going to celebrate a 20th anniversary birthday we should do this is that about right? Two years ago? Yeah, it was about two years ago. So, so you guys just kind of knew each other through the scene and stuff yes. and said, hey, we should bring this thing back because it was awesome. That's what Johnny said. I said, I said, I think you're crazy. <laughs> I was like, no way, dude. I was like, I'm yeah. busy. I'm doing Jesus stuff. I don't have time for rock and roll. <laughs> and, uh, and then he was like, I don't know, man. I think you'd be really dumb not to do this. And uh, now he said it in a really 
polite Southern way. I actually um, remember seeing Chad in a coffee shop in Birmingham. He was down from Nashville visiting family. And so it was around the 10 year anniversary. So it was around 2010. And I walked up to his table and I was like, hey, man, we need to do a 10 year anniversary of Furnace Fest. And he looked at me and said, there's not a chance. I'm not going to do that. And so I laughed and I bugged him for uh, the next few years. But then, yeah, uh, it was a couple of years ago. Uh, saw him again and said, Hey man, look, 20 years later, it's a, it's a good, it's a good time to do this. A 20 year reunion of Furnace Fest. And, uh, it, it piqued his interest and we just started talking from there. Yeah. So I want to unpack in this conversation, what I want to get out of it is like a very detailed understanding for everybody watching of exactly like the process of planning something like this and what goes into it, because I've done a few events, but just even thinking about something like this makes me want to just like run and hide under a rock because dealing with like two bands is bad enough. Oh my God. Let alone 60, 60 of them or however many yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to have. So when did you like officially say, okay, we're going to do this? Ooh, six months ago ish. No, no, longer? it was, um, yeah, it was ago? longer than that. It was a little over a year ago. Chad and I were actually talking and I remember Chad saying, I don't even know if anybody would care about this. And I was like, no, I think a lot of people would care about this. So let's just gauge a little bit of interest. Let's see who would care. And so me, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a nobody in Birmingham, Alabama. And so I posted a few pictures from Furnace Fest 2000. And I said, you know, who's interested? 20 years later, uh, resurrection of this uh, this festival uh, let's, let's see who would be interested in coming, just posted on Facebook and somehow it went, it went viral. Like, uh, so many people were sharing it. So many people were talking about it on Facebook, even people from, uh, you know, Scott from stretch Armstrong and, and a few people, it caught their attention. And so they were, they replied to it. And so Chad and I got back together and go, you know what? It looks like a lot of people are interested. This may be something that we could actually do. And how long ago was that? Like a year ago or something? No, it was probably 18, 19 months ago, actually. Okay. Yeah. But still, that's, I mean, that's not super long ago. No. uh, To put something like this together. So there's one idea that I I like there a lot, which is a common theme in a lot of these conversations that I have, which is de-risking an idea. Like before you commit to something like this, which is going to consume your entire life for, yeah. you know, a year and a half or whatever it is and, and a lot of money, I'm sure. How do you de-risk an idea like this just to <laughs> get a little, you know, there's no way to know for sure, but there's a big difference between like 300 people sharing it on Facebook and two people sharing it. That definitely right. gives you an idea of, you know, kind of how hot or cold this thing is. Mm-hmm. For me, the the real de-risk was in in in. Full disclosure, Finn, we had a completely approved Kickstarter campaign ready to launch on Black Friday of 2019 for Furnace Fest uh, because we were that unsure of how this would go. And so for me, the real de-risk was when, when the band Beloved was the first band that I approached and a band that I had signed back in the day and had loved working with but broke up 15 years ago. When they said, we'll play, I was like, that's crazy. Okay, maybe there is something here. Maybe Johnny wasn't crazy after all. And then when we announced Beloved on Black Friday, by that time, we'd obviously said, you know what, let's just wait and see. You know, the the holidays are supposed to be a really bad time for Kickstarters. Let's just press pause for a minute on the Kickstarter. We announced Beloved. And that's when I was like, wow, I was I have never been more wrong in my life. about how people <laughs> felt about mm-hmm. something compared to where I was because that was a that was the most viral kind of like news bit that I've been a part of since mm-hmm. probably under oath they're only chasing safety or something you know one of those really big records it was it was from it was just very surprising well it's it's interesting to see that because you know, I think we're about the same age. You might be a couple years older than me, but we're probably stuck in a time where that stuff was either ignored or hated, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like nobody respected, for example, like he is legend, (laughs) like nobody cared outside of their, and I'm not putting them down at all, but like outside of their core fan base or even like Norma Jean, like it was not 
cool. It was not accepted. And now it's the exact opposite. I noticed the same thing. Like you mentioned, especially he is legend. They have like an absolutely rabid fan base now. And I'm like, hmm. well, I didn't see that one coming, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and again, I'm not yeah, putting them cool. down at all. I think that just you know proves the point that they were doing something cool. It's just that people weren't ready to understand it. And I, and I think right. it takes time. Yeah. And I think this festival is an example of that, too. How many people went to the first one? I think I mean, the the funny thing is we we were so clueless about what we were doing back then that we never kept any kind of real records. Uh, there's no real of course. There's no real data <laughs> on any of the first four Furnace Fests. To, to, there's no like Google spreadsheet, you know, Google Sheet or uh, Excel document that I could send your way. I think that that. Somewhere between fifteen hundred and three thousand people paid, I think, and I have no clue how many people like Johnny Grimes jumped the fence and got right. in. I would say I wouldn't be surprised to know there were six, you know, five to six thousand people on any given day, and maybe half of those were actually paid attendees. But you know, we didn't care. It was just you know, bands were five hundred dollars or. Or, you know, Hatebreed was like $5,000, which was our big spend. A fortune. Yeah, yeah. yeah. New fa- a Newfound Glory was like $2,500. <laughs> and that was like, oh my goodness, $2,500. But, uh, but, you know, we were yeah. just kids having fun. So it didn't really, didn't. we never made money off it. But This is the very first one or the final one? or These are kind of the first. Well, the first, yeah, these are kind of the whole thing. All None of them were were managed very professionally. Got it. The, the, PC way to put it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so what's next? Like, so you're like, okay, we're, we're doing this and it appears that there's more potential than we thought. Like what's next? Did you have a venue? Did you have like 60 bands lined up? Like talk me through that part. Chad and I both knew that we needed to, to actually put a team together that was going to be able to pull this thing off and make it, uh, make it successful. And so, uh, we contacted a couple buddies of ours, um, Ryan Luther, who uh, is based in Nashville as well and was booking shows in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, just hardcore and punk rock bands and in small venues and uh, but has a really good relationship with a lot of these bands still to this day. And then Chad, Chad was actually friends with a guy out in Dallas who's a promoter and puts on festivals for a living. Uh, and uh, and so oh, Mike okay. Zemer. And so, yeah, we, yeah, we just, uh, we contacted these guys, uh, laid it out, said, Hey, this is what we want to do. We'd love for you guys to be a part of it. And, uh, and they all agreed. And so we just kind of, uh, moved forward from there. Well, if you got Mike on board, that's, uh, definitely a a good asset. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my first steps in kind of going back to the de-risking conversation was to begin asking old friends whether I whether they thought Johnny and I were crazy. So I, I deliberately remember talking to Timmy from Under Oath, and I, at first I could tell he was kind of like, I don't know, man, like, like this is a lot. This is a huge risk you're talking about. And uh, and then and then, it, but as we talk, the more we talk, the more excited he got. And so one of his pieces of advice was, you should bring on a talent buyer. And somebody who's actually done, who actually is doing festivals now, because you, Johnny and Ryan don't have any experience with running a festival now. I mean, it's like, well, now we're getting, we're gaining experience in real time, but, uh, what, you know, saying, oh man, I, I promoted Furnace Fest 18 years ago with zero data to show for it. And I lost money every year. (laughs) Isn't exactly a, an exciting, you know, like business. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to invest in this thing? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but once the team came together, then it was like, okay, this isn't just falling on my shoulders. The venue was in place, which was really important to have it at the original location. So when, when fans showed up the day of, they were like, this man, this feels like 20 years ago or 17 years ago. Uh, I remember seeing Andrew WK here, 18 visions here, whoever. And we wanted that, you know, we didn't want it to be like, Oh, it's furnace fest, but it's like in Oklahoma. They just put the logo on something else. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We wanted it to be as close to the original as possible. And uh, um, so that was huge. And I, yeah, I think we just, I, I guess one of the next steps was we decided that the Kickstarter was not necessary and that we would, we would release a thousand, early bird tickets at a, at about a 10% discount 
with with a few free bundled items like a poster and a couple of of little things to just see what what kind of like okay let's gauge the interest and let's see so how how much was the early bird they, they were 199 plus uh 30 something dollars in taxes and fees okay so you got 200 grand gross and i don't know call it yep. like 130 or something like that after you know all said and done to work with yep yep and you know that's a lot of money, but my first thought seeing this is like, holy crap, this looks expensive. Because, yep. like you said, it's a different yeah. world than it was in two thousand one or something, where bands would show up right. for three hundred bucks. There's yeah. probably a lot of bands that would do it for free and even pay for <laughs> gas and stuff just because they wanted to be there. And I think bands are a little bit more um, business savvy. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's just like I think bands understand now that no. they have to think about money a little bit more. So how, I'm curious about that part, like. How much do you have to pay mm. to bands up front? I mean, I'm not asking for specific numbers, but like, sure. you know, tell me about how that works. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. I think Chad and I both were, were shocked at how much it was actually yeah. going to cost once we started putting the numbers together going, okay, this is significantly more expensive than it was 20 years ago. And bands just operate completely different. Uh, there's agents involved now. There's so many different layers of of folks um, in between, uh, say, a promoter like like us and the band now. And so the fees are significantly higher. But in terms of bands, we were pleasantly surprised, though, that um, a lot of these bands who hadn't played in 10, 12, 15 years were really stoked to, to get back together. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I think at, at the heart of what we wanted to do was actually bless these bands and bless these band members and to take care of them and for them, some of them to bring their families, their wives, their kids. And so we wanted to actually make it worthwhile um, for them. And so we, um, you know, we were absolutely willing to pay them, uh, you know, a good, a good wage to come down and cover their travel cost. And so, but yeah, it pleasantly surprised that they were willing to do it, but uh, caught off guard by how much it would actually cost. I mean, this is going to be at the end of the day, it's going to be a, a 600,000 plus uh, event yeah. in, uh, in, in cost. And so um, uh, that's significant. That's assuming we keep it kind of where it's at to two stages. And- It'll be 30% higher than whatever you think it's going to be when yeah. all said and done. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. There's a good yeah. chance of that. And I, from a, you know, to answer your question on the deposit front, what's interesting is that because of our, shockingly enough, because of the history that both Furnace Fest and and that I've had in the music industry and that someone like Mike Zemer has in the present, uh, agents have been, and booking companies have been exceptionally kind in terms of what they've required. And so I think if you were to just start this, you're like a kid at, or a, you're just out of college, you're like, I'm gonna go do a festival, this is amazing. I think that it would probably prove very, very difficult and you would most likely have to mm-hmm. provide deposits in the form of a 50% uh, or some kind of 10, somewhere between 10 and 50% deposit before you could announce the band or, uh, you know, they likely wouldn't agree to it. So uh, in our case, which again, is speaks to the, just like the, the, um, the history, the legacy that that's already here and someone like Mike's reputation, um, we out of out of I think fifty two bands confirmed only one required a deposit before we announced, which to me is still you know everyone's joking about Firefest and you know Furnace Fest and Firefest and there's there's even a parody website <laughs> called Fire in the Furnace Fest. So to me, it's like it, it is kind of scary to think like yeah, I mean we could hypothetically go after a Rage Against the Machine or a Blink-182 or somebody massive and maybe they'd be okay with with us not putting down a deposit and just, hey, we got Rage Against the Machine. And I don't know. I mean, it is pretty wild. You know, then again, I think a lot of the the artists that we've gone after have played Furnace Fest or or were aware of it. Uh, there's, There's a level of relational value that that i think you just can't put a price on but yeah well what's interesting you know you mentioned blank or rage against the machine is like i actually think adding one of those to this festival even though those are you know quote unquote bigger artists to me would make it worse yeah 
Agreed. Like what's special about this to me is it represents a really specific kind of slice in time and culture. And and I don't want anything else to be part of that. You know what I mean? I want yeah. it to just be pure for what it is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Right. And that's, yeah, yeah. So that's, <laughs> I feel like it'd be kind of embarrassing, you know, it'd be like, all right, those dudes sold out now, you know, now they have, it would just kind of be like, well, what are they doing? here? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it would just feel like, like kind of, yeah, tacked on. And I guess that's the, another question I had is, if I'm booking another event, I'm I'm thinking really hard about who's going to draw. Yeah. This is a little bit different in that Furnace Fest itself has a certain amount of, you know, cachet that's going to draw regardless for you book, but how much of a conversation is that and and how do you gauge that especially since a lot of these bands haven't played for a long time and there isn't a lot of recent data to draw on? I think that's where it just be- has become a gut kind of between the four of us mm-hmm. a gut reaction, you know? Like we basically are like, "Hey, Here's the the Juliana theory. Emotion is dead, cover to cover. No, they've never done it before. Twentieth anniversary. How? What? What level of excitement do the four of us feel about that? And we're all like, dude, that's insane. That would be crazy. I'm gonna go listen to Emotion is Dead right now. And we're like, okay, done. What? You know, how much do they need to make it happen? You know, then it's easy. It's harder when it's kind of like. I don't want to give a, an example because I feel I feel kind of guilty about it, but but a sure, band yeah. a band that we might not all agree on, mm-hmm. and and I think that's where it becomes a lot harder because I might love the band, but Johnny and Ryan might think you know that band eh, we never really got into them, and might be might think something different, and uh, but in, I, I would I'd actually argue that it's been a really cool gift for us to just have to wrestle through yeah what what are we sensing, but it is it's it's tough. It's definitely a gut feeling. And what was cool, it's cool too, is because then we wanted to create an event that we all wanted to go to and see the bands that we love and still listen to at 40 years old, you know? And so we were like, okay, what, what bands would you love to see? What bands would you love to see? And just compile a list and go, okay, what, which bands are actually going to draw? Which bands are, uh, are, will probably even consider getting back together and playing shows. So yeah, there's a level of gut reaction, but also uh, it's really cool to be able to plan this event and go, and I would love to see this band, this band and this band. So let's just go hard after them and see if we can get them. I guess to, to like maybe close the circle on, on that piece of the conversation, the other really cool thing that happened to us that I feel we just kind of fell into in this conversation was that we asked fans on Facebook and Instagram the question, like, who would you want to see? And and then that turned into, I, there was an, a, a wave of four bands that was Further Seen Forever, Life in Your Way, With Honor, and The Beautiful Mistake. And in that post, we said, every one of these bands were hand-selected from your requests. And then it was like, it was like blowing right. the roof off the thing. Then we started getting wish lists left and right. Put on every time I die. Put on poison the well. Put on stretch strong arm. And it it was like okay, okay, like hold up, like all right. <laughs> but it really helped us understand. But that's that's again bands... de-risking, right? Because it's right. like they told you who they want to see, right? And I think we've tried to we've I think we've genuinely tried to listen, um, and and where we start seeing common threads where a band keeps coming up over and over again, or a band like mineral or avail that those bands didn't necessarily come up a lot, but the four of us were like, dude, if we could get mineral or avail, that would be sick. Mineral. And so when we announced them, people are like, Holy shit, avail mineral. No way. (laughs) I I should have thought of them. (laughs) So I think it's trying to, work with everybody, make sure everyone feels like, Hey, th- you're a part of this too. This is not just our thing. This is a, a team effort all the way through and through. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, 
and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So you've announced what, like 40 or something? 30, 30, I think 36. Yeah. If my, if my counter is accurate. So you still got a good chunk left. So maybe this will change. Yeah. Maybe this will change. Uh, your answer will change after you announce this, but I notice it's mostly, <laughs> right. you know, 90s to mid 2000s bands you've got a couple newer ones like knocked loose and uh see space cowboy in there talk to me about kind of the balance of new versus old like on the one hand you know is this like a i don't want to say retro thing you know it, it, or do you want some a mix of old and new blood or how are you thinking about that yeah that's a great question go johnny go <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's important for us to kind of bridge the gap from new to old and so you know, one of the first bands that we considered in in kind of the new wave of hardcore was Knock Loose. I mean, those guys are incredible musicians. They're doing um, just amazing things. And so we knew that we needed to go after those guys. And we do have some newer bands that we haven't announced yet. And so, yeah, I think at the heart of what we wanted to do was to kind of bridge that gap. I think it's important because we do, all of us grew up listening to hardcore and punk rock and actually still listen to hardcore and punk rock. And we do want to see that kind of fresh new wave and that uh, not necessarily rebirth because it hasn't been dead, but um, kind of that new renewed energy spark into the scene. And so bridging that gap is so important to us. And uh, But there is, I think there's a high level of nostalgia here as well. And so getting um, some of those godfathers of, of punk rock and hardcore bought in is, is vitally important to us. You know, I think to me, one of the most exciting aspects of Furnace Fest has been rediscovering music today that, that, that reminds me of what I think I would have heard 20 years ago. So it's like, who are those bands? And, and a couple of bands that I've really fallen for have been the story so far in State Champs. And a lot of people will be like, oh, those bands have been around for years. But for me, they're like, they're like four month old discoveries. So they're brand new. And, and I'm like, <laughs> right. You're like dad, everyone knows I, about those. I talked to, to Brad, their agent. And I was like, Hey man, <laughs> you know, these bands would be amazing. Let's get them in my mind. I don't know. They're like, 
they're like punk rock bands. So they're probably five to $10,000 and yeah. come to find out that's definitely not the case. So <laughs> it's like, it costs this much. Yeah. And you're like, right. Oh, well, all no, right. I, Maybe I'd not still, then. I'm still <laughs> yeah. putting them, uh, putting a bug in Johnny's ear <laughs> yeah. on this podcast specifically for those two bands, the, the Chad Johnson wish list. But, um, but no, that's been really, it's been really fun to just discover like, Oh, Wow, there are there are some amazing. There are so many incredible bands. If anything, it's overwhelming, and uh, I do think that that from our perspective, it's probably nine eighty to ninety percent legacy acts, and then ten to twenty percent current. Because we we wanted to mostly focus on what mm-hmm. Furnace Fest, what was so special about it twenty years ago, and and try to replicate as best as we could that time. Um, and so, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see kind of how that translates. You know, normally I don't like kind of, I guess, retro stuff or, I, you know, I'm not into that. I'm, I'm mostly interested in like what's happening now. But on the other hand, this is a moment in time that I think is only just now starting to get appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if it's like, oh, let's have the Cro-Mags play, no offense to them, but it's like, we all know the Cro-Mags and the Misfits are great. Like that's you know, we know that, but you know, the bands you guys are talking about, like hopes fall, for example, like I just started hearing their name again about a year and a Mm -hmm. half ago or something. And, you know, they did not, you know, I'm not saying they were a flop or something, but like they were not loved when they were in their prime, you know, they were, you know, they were, they were doing what they had to get by, but it's kind of like, this is an opportunity for all those bands that didn't really get the shine that they, in my opinion, deserved when they're around, you know, to now get that. And so, you know, this feels like a nostalgia lineup that is warranted to me. Yeah, thanks. And maybe that's just because it's kind of my sweet spot and maybe I'm just being <laughs> that old man. But to me, this this feels different to me. We felt like if there were four of us that agreed, <laughs> then there would definitely be more of us who agreed. And I think that that's been what's what's super exciting is it really it's, it's try, it, right now, I think that the key place we're in is to try to sell out at 3,300 tickets the original footprint of Furnace Fest, and to do that, um, to do that well, to do that quickly, to do that seven or eight months in advance of the of the the event itself uh, would would just be something uh, completely unheard of from a Furnace Fest point of view. But um, but yeah, it is it, it is interesting to watch the kind of needle moving forward for someone every time we make a new announcement like i wasn't gonna go but then they announced this band now now i'm i'm going right. and so that that's our job right now is like hey let's push as many yeah. people off the fence into furnace fest land as possible um and uh, and it's you know but but with a hug along the way so you know it's like we're we're hugging yeah. falling down but it's great it's all gonna work <laughs> so is that kind of the primary way that you drive ticket sales is yeah. with each wave of announcements you see a spike and it trails off a little bit and then you announce another one and you see you, is that how it works no not really because we don't even have tickets available right now so it's really all just oh no, we, we, sold, okay. we sold out in about 24 hours of the first thousand tickets uh back uh, january 1st and uh uh, and so now there, there are actually no tickets except for one $300 bundle, uh, which does, believe it or not, does still sell. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, the, the regular general admission tickets go on sale on uh, February 5th. Got it. Why are you announcing bands when you don't have tickets for sale? That's a great question. I don't know. Why are we? Like, uh... Dang it, Ben. Why'd you have to bring that one up? See, yeah. you should... No, I don't mean to be a smartass. No, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely I know curious. Not, but... I, I don't know anything about promoting a festival, so I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, Finn, we're learning as we go, man. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, is there a reason you couldn't just turn that shopping cart on right now? No, technically there's not. I think for us, there, there. I guess there was some, there's always been something about here's like, like we're going to do the hard work of trying to set this up really, really well. And so that when we do put tickets on sale, the response proves that. Whereas I guess it would have felt a little bit like, hey, I mean, we were shocked to sell through a thousand tickets with at that point, 20 bands or something announced. It was like, what? Why are you paying two hundred dollars for something you don't? I mean, we could have just booked the whole rest of this thing as local openers, plus these 20 great bands. And 
I think people would have been pretty disappointed that they had spent that kind of money. Uh, I don't know, maybe not, but, but uh, for me, I just, I guess I just felt like let's, let's prove to people that we are capable of doing this. And it's, it's taken us this time. Like we are actively booking bands right now. So Got it. just, you know, an hour ago, another band confirmed and another band declined. So it, I think it's like, we kind of knew, all right, by February 5th, we can lock this thing in and then share it, share it, you know, with the world. But I don't know. That's Got me. It. That's probably me just trying to make it sound way cooler than what it is. At the end of the day, <laughs> I think we have no idea what we're doing. We're just learning one day at a time. So what's the capacity on this thing? <laughs> 30. Yeah. 3,300 is the, the oh, original, okay. I see. the original I footprint. See. And, yeah. and there's no, you know, some yeah. venues you can do it half full. And then if it sells well, they can open up the other half of it. It's not one of those situations. Yeah, there's it, that's where it gets really tricky because the in the conversation we're having is we could rent the the field, the basically where the parking lot is. We could rent that and we could put a outdoor stage or a tent stage or we could come up with some sort of solution. But I think for now, we're just we're just focused on let's like let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's yeah. amazing that we sold a thousand tickets. Let's just see. Can we sell out the footprint and then decide what in the world we do if if that happens seven months in advance rather than i think getting to like what if we could sell ten thousand? okay go crazy and then right, right. we all you know lose our homes and our yeah. wives and our kids over furnace vest <laughs> the reason i ask is because you know one of the reasons i've always been so resistant to being involved with any kind of live events is because there is a hard cap on the upside, right? I mean, there's yeah. only so many tickets you can sell as opposed to like, you know, my company is a subscription education business. We could have a million subscribers. As many seats as people want, we can sell them, whereas that's not true with events. And it's it's kind of like an asymmetric risk profile in the wrong direction. Like if nobody wow. shows up, you lose everything. And no matter what, your app, your upside is capped. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of the part that you know, has always been unattractive to me. Obviously, you guys are doing this as much, I think, as a passion project, you know, as True. for, you know, uh, for for a profit motive. But uh, talk to me about that part. I mean, is that am I looking at it the right way or or, or is there something I'm missing? No, I mean, that's I, yeah, I'd say that's dead on. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right from a business standpoint. Yeah, there's a cap. And so what's cool about this event, though, um, we do have the ability to expand. The question is, is, is it the right thing to do? And but yeah, this is strictly a passion project for us at this point in time. It's a it's a one time resurrection of a of a festival that meant so much to so many people. Um, but uh, thankfully, we do have that option. The question is, is like, is it the right thing to do? Because we could potentially open it up and sell 10,000 tickets. And yeah, you know, we would at that point in time, hopefully we would be able to to make a little bit of money and to pay uh, pay ourselves for the two years that we spent planning for this. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the question is, is at that point, do you lose that nostalgia, that that um, almost that community feel that Furnace Fest once had. And so that's a conversation that we're having at this moment. But we all have decided, all four of us is like, let's let's put our tickets on sale February 5th. Let's announce the full lineup as is. Let's keep that same footprint and just see what happens. Makes sense. I mean, you're totally right. It's it, This has been a labor of love through and through. And and I think, I think that it's only been in, in the last few weeks where we've realized, oh, maybe we could get paid a little bit yeah. for the time and energy that we're putting into this thing. How dare you? Right. How dare us. But, but to be completely transparent up until probably about a month ago, all of us were like, well, the downside's really, really scary <laughs> and risky and dangerous. And the upside is capped, but this yeah. just sounds amazing. Sure. So let's just put a ton of time and energy into it and see what happens. I think that we were probably highly naive in that we assumed this wouldn't take that much time or energy. Thankfully, because it's four of us and a lot of people are helping and there's so many uh, active mm -hmm. participants in this, it it does take the load off. But man, if I was trying to do this on my yeah. own, it, it would be like eight full-time jobs to try to pull it off. So this is nobody's full-time job? No. No. Nope. 
this is a, this is definitely a side hustle. Yeah. This is like the the I don't know side hustle festival festivals what it could be called or something I don't know. Yeah, it is. But no, nobody's nobody's working full time on it. It's a heck of a side hustle. Yeah, something. <laughs> One thing I noticed in the uh, FAQs that I thought was kind of interesting, and and maybe you can just kind of talk about how this is playing out in other ways. A question there is what about our kids because. This is not 2001 when maybe two people we knew had kids, you know, now people have families and kids and stuff like that. And that plays out in just really obvious ways like that. Like my son is six. I would like to bring him is, will that be cool? But there's all kinds of other considerations. Like you said, you know, people are having to travel, you know, with their families and stuff like that. Can you just kind of talk about some of the ways that, you know, the fact that we are all older has has affected this thing? I mean, I guess the way I put it in that in trying to answer that question was try to look at Furnace Fest more as a three day epic date with your spouse uh, and and leave the kids at home and enjoy enjoy yourselves, you know, Uh, but I realize that that's not necessarily where everyone wants to be. And so we, we kind of, in this case, we were like, what do we do? We have a lot of people asking, can our kids free? And then we're like, man, our capacity is so limited as it is. If we allow everyone to bring their kids, we could sell out at like a thousand tickets mm-hmm. and, and be like, well, sorry, there's, there's a thousand fans and 3,300, you know, total with kids. So, and you feel terrible doing that, but you have to, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did feel bad, but then, then we looked at riot fest and we, we realized that they, and, and many other festivals do a five and under is free. And then, you know, six and over is, is a ticket. And so we're like, all right, well, that, that seems like it may not be the best solution, but it does seem like a solution. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, it's like, I know, I know, that my my family of four are planning to attend Furnace Fest. And will they hang out the whole time? Highly doubtful. Will they come by for a little bit? Will they, you know, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. And and unfortunately there's no room on the guest list form. So uh I am I am gonna require a a ticket. Uh sorry. (laughs) They're paying. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm starting a GoFundMe for my kids. My 12 year old son already knows that he's got to purchase a ticket. Save that, that allowance. Fit, so. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what are the other what are some of the other ways that that's kind of affected this? I mean, are there bands who couldn't make it because they have to, you know, they want to do a reunion, but they've got family obligations. I mean, th- this is an interesting dynamic that you know I think is just yeah, it's got to play a role. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I don't think that as far as I'm aware that we've had a band tell us we can't be there because of a family obligation. I'm sure there has been one and maybe their agent or jobs or any kind of stuff like that. Right, right. What's been interesting, though, is the the, the bands with families have said, man, my ki- I've, I have three kids now and they're 15 years old. They've never seen me play can I bring my wife and kids? And we were like, absolutely. We'll make that work. So what it has been cool has been right. The opposite. These guys are yeah. wanting to bring their families so their kids can actually experience something that they've been passionate yeah. about. So it's, it's pretty neat. I told you dad was cool once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that's true. I think that's actually been one of our big considerations is uh, how huge is the guest list at Furnace Fest going to be oh my just for all these bands, family, you know, wives and kids. And uh, it's... Well, that's real because you've got 300 people in mm-hmm. the bands right. times X number of guest list spots. That's a real yeah, consideration. Right. right, it is. And these are the kind of details that people don't think about. No, no. When they're booking this, they pencil it out. Like if we sell this many tickets and like... Cool, but do you consider that 500 of those are going to go, or whatever the number is, are going to go to guest list, and that changes the math a little bit, and it's like, oops, (laughs) I didn't think about that part. Right, right, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I don't. It's it's true. I think I I guess the number one reason that I've heard so far from bands for not the bands who weren't able to do it that we really wanted to to do a reunion or make a comeback kind of show is is probably more like like the challenge of life over spread out over five different people's Mm -hmm. uh, expression of it. And so, or one, one or two members might feel uncomfortable because they haven't played together in 10, 15, 20 years and what they left, they closed the chapter really, really well. They feel really strongly about that. And now it's like, I don't know, I've been drinking a lot of beer or I just haven't (laughs) been playing my guitar or my drums much. 
And now I'm going to go back to, to try to wow people as a headliner. Whose expectations are just like sky high. Right, right. That's right. You and know? if you do, if you don't do well, then everyone's, you know, then it's like memes for centuries to come. So Right, right. Remember when this or that band showed up all fat and sloppy? <laughs> yeah. And like, he right. threw up on stage. A, it is yeah. real. It's, it's a real consideration. People don't understand how much pressure there is to, you know, to perform. I mean, that's what yeah. it is. And yeah. it's not easy. And if you haven't played those songs in 10 years or haven't even played drums in 10 years, yeah. you don't know whether you're going to be good or That's not. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these guys live in different states too. So we have a couple of the bands that we're talking to now. They're like, okay, we're going to get together on this weekend and practice and then make a decision. So there's just so right. much logistics that go in into play here. And so guys from this state are having to fly to this state for them to practice just to even see if they still have it. So, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking of logistics, that that's like a whole, we could spend hours on that. Absolutely. But maybe we can touch on a little bit is like the sheer volume of just random little logistical questions. Like, you know, can we have two of this kind of piece of gear on stage or, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, do you have this kind of power available and just random stuff like that from 60 bands has mm-hmm. got to be, maybe it, maybe it's not that bad now, but it certainly will be who's fielding all those. And how does that work? Well, right now I think we just say, yes, <laughs> they're they're basically like, we need this. Yes. We need this. Yes. Like, like let's press pause on all of that. All we want at this point is to get you to the festival. That's yeah. concern number one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Renting your backline is a relatively small yeah. issue compared to you, us agreeing to terms, you being available, you penciling out your your schedule, us being able to announce you. All that stuff is is considerably higher on the list of priorities, but uh, it, it does come up often. Or just random stuff like, I don't know. Where are we going to stay? How do you fit merch for 60 bands? Or how many of these bands yeah, are yeah. going to have merch? And where are you going to fit it? You know? Right. That's that's a lot of space. Any, anything multiplied by 60 bands becomes a big deal. Right. A lot, yeah. And and in, in full transparency, we haven't gotten a lot of that. A lot of these bands have not been <laughs> overly like, oh, demanding. I didn't think, I'm bringing so, all this stuff that you're like, oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thankfully... Today, we could say that there's only been a few bands who have had these types of requests for backline and those types of things. And so it'll be fairly easy to take care of. Now, if the last 20 that we announce come in and, you know, want, I don't know, green M&Ms and all this weird stuff, then we'll probably just say no. Um, But yeah, those logistics are are insane. Thankfully, again, Chad made the point. There's four of us working on it. And uh, and the and. Uh, at Sloss Furnace, where the event's going to be held, there's just so much space, and there it's it's a, such a cool venue, and so there's a lot of space for bands to kind of set up and do some things, and all of our vendors, and so there's plenty of space, um, and all four of us are typically just working together on that. Well, I guess my point there is for anybody listening, uh, you know, I I am I am an operator. That's what I do for my job, and so I'm always the person that's like. Yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? What about yeah. this? And everyone's like, shut up. It's going to be fine. I'm like, not if I don't ask these questions. It's not. Yeah. And I think the two, from my perspective, the two most common questions are when are you going to announce us? And then where are we staying? So is there, yeah. are you blocking mm-hmm. out hotel rooms somewhere? Are you, are we all, are all the bands staying at one hotel? Where, you know, it's, and that's a great, you know, that's a great, concern i mean and then someone's going to show up and their reservation is in the computer and somebody's got to field that that's where you come in dude this is the stuff nobody thinks about with events but it becomes a non-trivial thing no 100 and and all those calls go to mike zemer and uh his phone number is 909 that's right (laughs) any any of this stuff mike has dealt with it a thousand times and he knows how to handle it yeah that's right that's right yeah it, it, but it's pretty overwhelming when you stop and, and start pulling it apart. Thankfully, I think it's been a lot of inspiration, a lot of passion, a lot of hard work, but it's also been a lot of putting out fires when the fire comes up and not always recognizing it, but like, oh, there's an issue. Yep. Okay. It's like, dude, if you want to run, if you want to put together a festival, I think that the number one greatest talent or gift you could possess is problem solving. 
And if you're good at problem solving, then you can run a festival. Because that's basically what it is with little, you know, little possibility for profit uh, (laughs) is just, you know, do I like, (laughs) do I like putting together puzzles and solving problems and making not very much money? Great. Festivals are for me. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you so much for letting me interrogate you about this. Uh, I, I I just oh, think it's awesome. super interesting to yeah, understand what great. it takes to put something like this together. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I am 100% confident you guys are going to crush it. This will definitely Thanks. sell out. It's going to go yeah. fine because everyone involved is a pro and they trust you and they believe in this thing. Same with the fans. So I'm 100% confident it's going to go great. Yeah, it's going to be a great event. Yeah. So what band, Finn, do you want to see at this festival that's going to get you to Birmingham? Yeah, exactly. (sighs) That's what I was going to ask. You know, I don't actually like watching bands, (laughs) but but I like like seeing people. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. I always say that like shows would be better if bands didn't play. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, yeah. If you could just hang out with everybody in the crowd. Yeah, exactly. So so to me, that's what's exciting about this is not any particular band. It's just that, like I said earlier, this is a really kind of specific slice of, you know, alternative culture or whatever word you want to use for it that I think deserves to be celebrated like this. So that's what yeah. I'm just excited about the whole thing and about the community more than any one particular yeah. band. That's That's what's cool about it to me. Cool. Well, yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for your support, for the kind words and for having us on. It's a real honor for us and we're excited to, to see it all come together. All right. Well, everybody can go to FurnaceFest2020.com and see what bands are uh, announced. And depending on when you hear this, maybe purchase tickets. Give that a look and uh, hopefully we'll see everyone in uh, Birmingham in September 18th through 20th. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep, you got it, dude. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works, too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.